0: All right. Welcome to the show. You're listening to Being Built. I'm the founder of Reckless Tech, Aaron Davis. I'm the host. I'm here with Tim Metzner, founder of FireRoad. That's right. And I'm curious to learn all about FireRoad.
1: Yeah, let's go. Okay, cool. (laughs) You want to start from the top? What what gave you the idea to start it? Oh, man. Let's see. FireRoad is like this long vision I've had. Like I really feel like it's kind of like the culmination of stuff I've done throughout my career, like going back even to college. um, So I was at the University of Cincinnati And it was in this like awesome five-year scholarship program. But it was really like built for the future corporate leaders of Cincinnati. So it was literally like Procter & Gamble and, you know, Kroger and these amazing companies got together and said like, this was like late 90s. They're like, man, we have this problem of all the smartest people are leaving Cincinnati for college and beyond. And we have a hard time getting them back. And we've got all these great Fortune 500s in town. They started this awesome program called Leonard Honors Plus. Carl Leonard was a huge founding partner of that. Hmm. And it's a five year scholarship program. But the coolest thing about it for me was well, two things really. One was co op. So it's a five year program, but every other quarter you're working for that five year.
0: Yeah. So you're actually getting real you're education getting real, on top of theoretical education. Experience.
1: And like for me, there's a ton of learning in there, but also, You learn what you don't want to do. Like there's a whole lot of people who spend four years getting a degree only to graduate, get their first job and go like, oh, crap, I don't really enjoy this. Right. Uh, And so have that right away. After freshman year, you're like thrown in the workforce. So amazing program. And most of my colleagues, you know, as we started co-oping, went to Kroger and Fifth Third and these amazing organizations. And um, I met this entrepreneur (laughs) uh, who had left a job at P&G in the late 90s started a tech company called Up for Sale and sold it to eBay. So I met this guy in early 2000, he had sold his first company to eBay in a pre-IPO acquisition um and he was like flying back and forth from, you know, the valley to Cincinnati doing his earnout and starting company number 2 on the side with some of his own capital and he hired me as a co-op and so oh, nice. I was like Man, I'm all in. I tell what people great all the time, it's it the best opportunity and also it was ruined because I could never get a normal job <laughs> after that being my first experience. Like, you know, and I had all these. Did you p- ever? Did you ever go work? No. Corporate work? I've never no? had a quote unquote real job. Like, wow. Okay. Um, I think, yeah, I like any job I've had. Other So when I graduated college, I went to work for that startup full time. So that would be my only job was an early employee at that company, which I started as a co-op, like employee number five as a co-op at a startup. Um Ever since then, it's been you know, I've created my own companies, so I've created my own jobs, like literally ever since. So, but that was an incredible experience. Like, and and I think in hindsight, as I look back, like what made it even more powerful is I had all these amazing, smart classmates who were working at all these awesome companies, and so I got to hear their experience and compare it to what I was doing. And like, the amount of responsibility that I that was put on my shoulders as a you know early nineteen twenty something like was just insane compared to like making coffees and you know building some excel models and stuff like that that a lot of other people were doing I'm like man I'm a part of this small team who's running after this like really big vision to change the world and we were like wanting to build this online platform to help people achieve their goals so we're building this direct to consumer thing I'm like I'm part of a small team I have a crazy responsibility we're building this cool for profit company but the but it's very mission based and I was just like man I was all in on that like it was just such a cool experience um, but fully transparent like in you know 99 2000 as I was finishing high school like I wanted to leave Cincinnati I was like I got I'm get out of this town mm-hmm. like this is <laughs> I don't hate Cincinnati but there's a big world out there right and like had some opportunities to play basketball really wanted to do that but no scholarship offers and then I got a full ride and I'm first generation college student so like family's all blue collar amazing awesome great west side Cincinnati family but all blue collar and so I'm first generation college my parents didn't have a ton of money and I get a full ride academic scholarship for the University of Cincinnati. I'm like, I think I'm staying in Cincinnati. Yeah. (laughs) Um. But like that did create this sort of itch to go experience something else. So, other than that startup, the only other co op I did was I found my way into a a co op out in the West Coast. I I found a job in San Francisco with a private equity firm. Just like worked my network aggressively. Ended up, you know, one of the guys I was working with at Spark People knew the founder of a private equity firm out in the West Coast, and so I got a chance to go live in San Francisco for six months in the early two thousands and work in private equity. And I remember like distinctly, you know, I had no experience to startups or, you know, anything before college. and I had no idea what entrepreneurship was. And I certainly didn't know what private equity was. So I'm like, you know, like any good person, good employee, like trying to learn the model, like learn this category as I'm preparing to go out there. And I'm like, so you get a bunch of money from other people to buy already good businesses you scale those businesses and you keep a bunch of the money that you make, like as you're scaling, like that doesn't even like, how does that work? Like, how's that a thing? (laughs) (laughs) So sort of like, if that's real, someday I want to get back to that. Cause that feels like that could be really fun. Right. I guess it's a great career. So that's sort of filed in the back of my mind. it was a really cool experience because I was in San Francisco in the early two thousands. And obviously I was not working in venture, but I had the startup experience. So I was aware of venture and sort of the, the, you know, the amazing just ecosystem that was already out there in San Francisco. So to get to see sort of the private capital market side of the business and have this real world kind of startup experience all before I even graduated college was you know, in hindsight, I look back at that, like, man, what a cool experience that was. Yeah. Forget the MBA. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, and that's why, you know, as I graduated, I started to think like, okay, do I really stay with this startup or do I go into like, you know, management consulting or something like that and like really get trained. And I just couldn't shake the fact that like the amount of stuff I got to do at that point already was insane. And I'm like, I should probably keep going on this ride. And especially because I would say today, the way I described it is like, at some point in college, there was like this seed planted by God that was like, you should be an entrepreneur. It's like, I say that because I'm like, I didn't grow up around it. I didn't know anyone who was an entrepreneur. I probably couldn't even tell you what it was. There were no like entrepreneurship programs in school when I was there. It was just business program. And so, but for whatever reason, I'm like, I think I want to start a company someday. Um, and so that's what led me to taking that first job. And And I felt like, well, if I'm going to do that, like I should really learn as much as I possibly can about this journey. So, I had a great time at, at Spark People for five or six years. Towards the end of my time there full time, I had this realization of just the lack of a startup community in Cincinnati. So, like, what really hit me was there were a couple people I would hang out with every once in a while who were doing stuff, but just not that many. I don't think I noticed the outage until I went to a startup weekend event in Columbus. Um, a buddy just said, Hey, there's this thing. You should come hang out. You'll have a blast. You love this stuff. So, I went up to Columbus and I'm like, Holy cow. Like, there's investors, there's entrepreneurs, there's like, there's all these folks from the ecosystem getting together and helping each other and just getting to know each other and building community. And I'm like, man, where's this at in Cincinnati? Mm-hmm. And so I came back from that and um, said, like, we really need Startup Weekend. and We need a community. Like, let's do that. So helped organize the first Startup Weekend event. I worked with Dave Knox, uh, who was the founder of the Brandery, one of the okay. first accelerators in Cincinnati. And then there was an entrepreneurship professor um, named Rodney D'Souza. He was at Northern Kentucky. Three of us and some other folks just got together and said, like, let's make this happen. So we brought Startup Weekend to Cincinnati. Is it still going? Um, I, we haven't had an event in a long time, but okay. it was up until COVID. I, I think actually COVID is, I don't think we've had one since Interesting. since okay. COVID. But you know, it had kind of slowed down. And you know, in hindsight, what happened was, There was a handful of us early on who were spending a lot of time doing the like community ecosystem building, like organizing events, mentoring, guiding, just, you know, I started an accelerator myself called Ocean. So like there was a handful of us like creating a whole lot of activity and it kind of got to the point where, you know, Cinterfuse had started. There's this like kind of this quasi-governmental entity that's like founded by some company money and some state dollars and like basically like let's stir the pot and create more activity in Cincinnati. We're like awesome. I'd love for that to be someone's job because you know I've got kids and a startup of my own. Like I'm trying to do a whole lot here, and I think the other realization, at least for myself and Rye Walker, who's my partner at at Differential, was like he's going to be a guest uh, next week. You're going to have him actually. Yeah,
0: we had to reschedule him, but he's coming in next week. Yeah, Yeah,
1: so. We, I think we both sort of had this realization of one of the biggest gaps Cincinnati still had was just great startups. And we're like, man, we got to be a part of it. Like, you know, we could spend all day. The there's a ton to of them. Though.
0: There's a ton of great startups coming out of Cincinnati, <laughs> and,
1: and and maybe you had something to do with that. The, there weren't at here. the time. I think yeah. that was still like there was a bunch of nascent stuff that was like really early. But the, like, if you look at any great startup ecosystem, the thing they can all point to is a big exit or multiple mm, big exits. Right, true. Like, especially in the Midwest, like in the Valley, obviously, like there's un untold number of those right but if you look at like a region like indianapolis you have you know a bunch of folks who made a bunch of money on an exact target exit to salesforce and it was a massive exit right and the same thing happened in columbus you have a couple pretty large exits and what happens is like the capital gets recycled and even more important brain power stays there that's right you've got yeah. a bunch of people who've who've been in the head a front row seat to building a startup this hyper growth which is unlike any other experience you can have and so you've got people who are now like either starting their second company or jumping out of a early employee seat and becoming founders on their own, and you've got a bunch of new angel investors who made their money in a startup world because they literally just got rich like, on wait, their own. This startup, is how it is. Right? This is the
0: kind of return I can get. So yeah, now, now they want to be investors, right? Mm-hmm. So
1: you've got that. You need that flywheel. And we were like, man, we just looked around Cincinnati. We we're like, there's some early bubblings of stuff that's awesome. We want community to happen. But we, we were sort of like, I don't, we don't know it all, but we've got as much experience as anyone in town in this world. Like we need to create some great companies. And, you know, Rye went all in on Astronomer, which we spun out of Differential. And I helped stand up a service company within Differential. And we've skipped some of the steps in the journey here. But um, I stepped out of that after standing up a service company and said like, I'm going to take a big swing. I want to build one of those companies. And that's what led me to co-founding Coterie. Yep. So that was, I don't know, six years ago or so. I just, had sort of circled insurance and healthcare as two categories that I felt like I knew enough about to be dangerous. I believed Cincinnati had a right to win in those categories if you build a tech-first organization. And I said, like, if I could pair up with a domain expert who had a vision for solving problems in one of those spaces, I think it'd be really powerful. And, you know, as, as uh, luck would have it, I met David McFarlane, who's our CEO at Coterie, and he had moved to Cincinnati literally wanting to start this company. And someone pointed in my direction and just hanging out, having coffee, like give me feedback on the pitch deck and help introduce me to folks in town. And I remember like texting my wife after that, like and we, David and I didn't even talk about working together, but I my wife. I'm like, I think I found the next thing I want to do. Really, like, this, this insurance? Like he's an actuary, he's a domain expert. He's like literally one of the smartest guys I've spent time with. And now having worked with him, like one of the smartest dudes I've ever worked with. So, like he's the kind of guy I know I can come alongside and, and do something special with. And so. Um, I had this vision for what is now fire road. Like I had the bubblings of it six years ago when I was thinking about jumping into Coterie and I almost ran after it, but I was like, man, I really think we need some great companies. I think this one could be, I really think this is a special opportunity with a team that could do something really interesting.
0: You think meeting the right person helped get you the rest of the Like what percentage of the way there were you before you met the right person? To, to help kind of steer it with That's you. a
1: great question because, you know, I literally had a spreadsheet of ideas and it was like a couple of them were like real, like people I talked to, like, here's a thing you could do. And a couple of them were more like what would become fire was sort of this concept. Right. And, you know, one of the ideas, the concepts was like start an insurance or a healthcare company, like, but build it with a tech data first mentality. And so to meet someone who literally wanted to do that yeah <laughs> here in Cincinnati, who had this incredible domain expertise, and not only had he been an actuary his entire career, he actually before Coterie had startup experience. He had left his like corporate actuary job, like against all great advice of people around him, making great money as an actuary, like climbing the ladder, like you know, had the ear of the board as a young guy, like, and he left to go to Chicago to start uh, help start a an insure tech there, and so he did that because he knew eventually he wanted to start. Coterie. Um, Interesting. And so he went and got this awesome startup experience as like employee number three, like basically co-founder. He wasn't co-founder title, but he was the founding actuary and yeah. basically the insurance guy on the startup yep. team. The me, Yep, yeah. exactly. So he did that for a handful of years. And then after that said like, all right, it's time to run after this vision I've had for reinventing small commercial insurance. And, you know, that's when I met him, which was just yeah, a pitch deck at the time. But he like his level of intelligence is such that like, after meeting him, I'm like, I think this is amazing and he could be totally full of shit. I don't know. Right. And so like, as it's I at was at least good enough to know you. Right? So what I did was like, well, I've got a couple other people who I like the some of the other smartest people I know. I'm like, I want you to go meet with this guy and tell me what you think. And both of them I'm like, you know, basically ask him, What do you see as like the biggest risk here? And the answer was like, What's well, a startup? I'm like, well, that doesn't scare me one bit. Like, yeah. that's not a, like I'm I'm very comfortable with that risk, but like do you think there's a there there? It feels like there is to me, but like, you know, this one of the guys I sent to meet him was an, an another actuary, a great American at like one of the highest levels there. And okay. so I'm like, if you can't, you know, if if you can't see through this, then I I feel pretty good about it. And he's like, No, it's like it makes perfect sense. The model we that he wants to run after. And so yeah, I think to answer your question. I think meeting David at that time was a huge part of it. It was like, just it pretty quickly became obvious, like it's too good of an opportunity not to run after this. Um, And so, yeah, we, we spent a bunch of time together in early meetings and, you know, I think he realized pretty quickly I was a good compliment to the skill set he had. And he's an amazing dude. He's an actuary. And, you know, he thinks very logically and I'm very emotional (laughs) and I'm high on empathy. And like, and, you know, I talk a lot about, people and teams and culture and, you know, and he's like, I understand the value of that. I don't really know how to do that. I want you to own it. And I'm like, great. That's right in my wheelhouse, man. I'm happy to step in and do that. So I think that the complimentary skill sets, it was already in a space I was interested in. And I felt like, you know, it sounds crazy and brazen, but that's how much we're like, I thought we could build the next great American insurance, like in Cincinnati, like why not? How's it doing now? Amazing. So the company's in a great spot. Um, it was the hardest thing I've ever done uh, in my career anyways and insurance is highly regulated Mm -hmm. and it's regulated on a state-by-state basis and it's not just 50 it's 51 because DC acts separate so you deal with 51 insurance regulators that you have to get approvals on Mm -hmm. and not just up front like anytime you want to change something like you have to refile like it is an intense process that requires like A ton of time and energy and expertise, even just to get approved to sell insurance in a state, if you're gonna build an insurance product from the ground up. And so that's a massive moat that we're able to create. And that's just like one level of complexity. Then you think about like, there's, I don't know, 25 different hundred classes of small business. When you think about like NAICS code and all these different classes, like in each one of those differentiate product for all of them. That's right. Each one Mm -hmm. of those acts a little bit differently. The policy, like when you're, when you think about like, The full, like what's the actual product? It's a policy document is sort of the output, right? Like you're insuring a company, but what they get is a document. Well, that document requires a ton of complexity just to create it, right? Like based on what industry in, what state they're in, how large they are. Like there's so much that goes into doing that, like on the output, but even on the input side of like, how are you going to underwrite this thing? And our vision was like, we actually think we can underwrite better than the norm and faster and cheaper than what everyone else is doing by leveraging data and technology. Hmm. So that's exactly what we did. Like I said, it was a massive hill to climb to get to market, not just from the regulatory, but we also had this kind of two-headed product beast. Like you're not just building a technology product and experience, like you have to build insurance products. And those two have to marry at the same time. That's really, really challenging when you're trying to move quick and in a space that doesn't move quick. And so, but we got to this point where we're like, man, all we need is business name and address, and we can fully underwrite price and bind buying uh, policy. And that was just like game changer to the industry once we figured out sort of distribution, which that was its own challenge.
0: <laughs> you mentioned the moat and the barrier to entry there is obviously huge given the regulatory standards in that industry and yes. a few others. But do you think so that's the barrier to entry for other startups, right? right. But Why aren't the big players doing what you guys did at Coterie? Yeah, you know, at first I and just... And I'm going to come back to the conversation about Fire Road, by the way. Yeah, sure. No, <laughs> I know. The it's, it's tour, a though, winding, the because wind, I am right? curious about codery too. Yeah,
1: so uh, my first thesis, when I, the reason I wanted to get an insurance is at Differential, we had started to do some innovation work, and a couple of the projects we did was around insurance. And I remember distinctly a couple of projects we spent time on where it was like, this is so damn obvious. Like, you should absolutely run after this. And, you know, we, we basically took them through a design sprint, like uncovered a problem, like scoped out a solution, validated it. And then, you know, they turned it into a pitch deck that they sort of toured around and showed everyone the cool stuff they did, but like it was never greenlit. And that happened like time and time again. I'm like, man, these guys are just like, it's like the too big to fail. The innovators dilemma is, is real. And I I started to like realize there were sort of two, two different types of people. They're either really senior and old enough. They're like, I understand technology is going to change the way this, category works but not on my watch like i just i don't want to deal with it right i'm i can see my glide path to retirement like i'm cool or you've got like the really young scrappy innovators and it's like career suicide if it doesn't work and like to get the buy-in and approval is intense and like you're fighting an uphill battle and like you know a lot of those folks build the rocket or take the next step on the ladder yeah Yeah. it's it's like either get in line or you're gonna have to go somewhere else to to be really innovative and i'm like man i saw that enough times i'm like poof There's an opportunity. So I thought that was, you know, they just couldn't get out of their own way. I think that's part of it. But we started to realize a couple years in was like, it's actually fundamentally against their business model. Like when you get to become a large insurance company, you're, you basically just have an annuity, like almost all of your business is on renewals. You're just checking about like a a tiny sliver of your business is new business everything we did was focused on new business. Like we're going to be really innovative about how we get a policy in the door. and Like we don't really care about new business. I mean, that's not fully true, but when 90% or whatever of your book is just renewals and all you have to do is not lose that policy, it doesn't make sense to spend a whole lot of time on this new model for how you write. So it's like, really all they want to do is just keep you around as a policy holder and they win. So it sort of works against them to try and do all this innovation. When like, really all I got to do is keep my, People happy who are selling for me. Interesting, and they're scared to death of like creating channel conflict. Like if there's any perception in the you know independent agent world, or in the agent world in general, that they're you're trying to do an end around, like yeah. they're like, oh, well, I'll take my business to some other insurance company that's not going to innovate. So they had this sort of con- channel conflict issue, and they had you know innovators dilemma, and and all that is real. And part of it was just like there's not a whole lot of motivation to change.
0: <laughs> yeah, props to you for getting into something really hard. That's intimidating when I think about it. There's almost no startup industry I wouldn't prefer to get into just because of the simplicity of it. But you went intentionally into the hard thing Yeah. where there's a lot of barriers for the big guys and there's a lot of barriers for the small guys to get started and and you know, kind of pushed your way through those yeah. few years getting yeah. it going. So congrats to you on Thank that. Thank you. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's not a small thing.
1: No, and you know it's. I guess I'm a glutton for punishment because I, you know, I, I keep jumping in and, and restarting. And coder, so house coder, you know, we're great. Like we're growing like crazy. We we sort of realized like we've got this. We're solving this great problem for independent agents. Who what we realized like so I went out and just interviewed like a hundred agents in a couple weeks. Like I just got to learn more about this space. Well, first. I studied to become a licensed insurance agent. So that was like first how I learned the category. Yeah. Like that was kind of a crazy journey. But then once we started thinking about the agent channel, like which is sort of the normal channel in insurance, I'm like, well, well, I just need to talk to a bunch of folks. And after those 100, you know, phone conversations or videos, it was like a common thread I kept hearing was most of the people I was talking to anyway make most of their money on selling your home in auto. Like that's their bread and butter. Okay. What happens is you start to build your book though over time is like inevitably some of those home and auto owners are business owners. And so they come to you and they say like, Hey, will you help me write my small business policy as well? And if you say no, I'm going to go find someone else who will yeah. and when I do, get drug along. That person's bringing my home and auto what they want everything. And yeah. you want it all in one place so you don't have to think about it. It's right. not like no one wakes up excited to shop for insurance on right. a Saturday. It's not a problem I need <laughs> to solve. Just, yeah, you get it done the and you stop. The only problem about my about
0: insurance it. is that I have to write two checks or three or one. That's, right. That's
1: it. Yeah. So that independent agent's like, "Well, I have to do small I got to figure out a small commercial solution like even though it's going to take me forever to write it, like it's a pain in the butt." It's a really small policy usually. They don't make much money on it. So it's like it's not that sexy or attractive to them, but they sort of got to do it. Um, so they're like, all right, well, if there's a better way to do it, that'd be awesome. So we put in a you know, a solution for them. We're like just enter a business name and address and stop filling out that 20-page application with mostly irrelevant questions that you spend all this time on. Nice. And we'll tell you right away. Like is it in appetite or not? And if it is, all we need is a credit card. That's do You it. really You're
0: simplified done. the channel partner experience and that's how you significantly. Yeah. Yeah, So one of the questions that came to mind as you were talking about that and the difficulty of starting a business like that is how long was your vision? There aren't a lot of leaders, particularly tech leaders who are thinking six years out. Did you, did you realize it was going to take that long to get to this point where you could then, okay, focus on something else?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I I didn't step in with the intention of like stepping out. Um okay. I and I really I haven't in any of the businesses though I've you know my, my my dad would tell you I fired myself from my own company on multiple occasions like yeah. right when it started to get good. Um <laughs> uh, but it was never like my intention to you know remove myself from that but with Codery it was really like actually one of the reasons I said yes was when I had the conversation with David and then Kevin Mackey who's our third co-founder really like I think we should build like an enduring business. Like let's build like not build for exit. Like we've all independently sort of had enough experience now and and had had a few swings like I'm not saying we're not going to raise venture but let's not let's not build with a quick flip in mind. Like let's try and build an amazing company that could stick around mm-hmm. and if we want to think about an exit like Let's think about an IPO, not a quick sale to sure. great American or whoever, right? right? It could be so, a great
0: Cincinnati employer for some years yeah, to come, right? Exactly. Like mm-hmm.
1: I think a lot about like, and this is a big motivation for Fire Road. Like, I love creating jobs. There's a big motivation for stepping out of the service company we would build at Differential. It was like we had 25 jobs and they were awesome and people loved them and I loved the work we were doing. But like I started to have this realization of like, man, we had mostly engineers at differential. We were like six or seven years in handful of those folks are on the west coast we were a service company at that point like we had spun out astronomer we weren't doing any more startup stuff it was literally like we're 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 a service we're Built a dev customers. shop kind of mm-hmm. right like and we we're doing stuff that was really cool and innovative and like i don't know like i know we're not paying anywhere near you know valley salaries to these engineers i know they're getting job offers all the time i'm just like why? What? like what's keeping them around and like as you lean into it, it's like well they love their job They believe their employer actually cares about them because we do things like a monthly one-on-one where we just talk about you and your career and your personal life and where you want to go. And like, we've done that forever. And we, you know, we bring people together multiple times a year and we talk about how do we make this culture better. And like, there was this belief that like you really wanted to create an awesome place to work. And that stemmed from this. Conversation Ryan and I had when we first started the company, we were like, let's try and build the last company we would ever want to work for. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know whether or not that'll be true, but we should do that. Like, why not build the last place like that? And the way you do that is you start talking to your employees. So anyway, like, fast forward six, seven years, and I just realized like, man, these people are like, I love this. Like, there's a story of this engineer, and we do like coaching. So I do this one-on-one coaching with him every month, and he one of the cool things about that is like you know when someone's going to leave so he started to have the conversation he's like I really think I want to start a business like I want to go out on my own I'm like awesome man like let's start to talk about that so we would have a conversation every month he sort of set a target out 6 months and like throughout that journey we finally uncovered I'm like so what's the real motivation for this and he's like I just like I want to have a life outside of work mm-hmm. I'm like oh that's interesting and I'm like well, you know, a lot of your time outside of work right now is doing side hustle stuff. Like you've always done that. We've always allowed it because you're an amazing engineer. I'm like, you do nine to five work better than most anyone. And we love that and we'll pay you for it. And then you go do side hustle work to make more money, but you don't have to do that. Right. And I just started talking to him about the reality. I was like, I'm not trying to scare you, but let me tell you what happens when you become the owner. Yeah. Like the hours it don't get stop. better, man. Everyone thinks like, ah, oh, I can set my own schedule and this is going to be awesome. Like Sure, there's more flexibility. There's also more hours, <laughs> like, and there's more problems and there's more stress and overhead. And, like, it's so interesting. Like, throughout the journey, I realized, like, oh, he's like, he, he wants to get in a band again. <laughs> he oh. misses his hobbies. <laughs> like, he misses everything. They're like, dude, join it, get in a band. Like, what do you like? And so, like, it was so awesome. He ended up staying still there at Differential to this day. And, like, he's like got really involved in a band. And his community. So, I like. So, it was really some lifestyle stuff some more stuff. than career yeah. stuff, right? And what's okay. really interesting is I realized, like, for so many of the people that are sticking around at Differential, I'm like, you create this awesome job. And because of that, like, these folks have come alive in their personal lives. Mm-hmm. And so, you start to realize, like, oh man, there's real impact you can have on the world. Like, you, can, you want to change the world, quote unquote, as a, like, driven entrepreneur, create an amazing job because you'll become better as a husband, as a parent, as a community member, like you're more engaged, like, you're just a better human being. I'm like, you do that for enough people in a community. And that's how you change a community. And like, you want to change the world, create amazing jobs. And so I started to really believe that I'm like, man, I want to do this on a larger scale. That was a big motivation for wanting to step into Coterie. And why at the beginning, we were like, let's take a long view on this, like, let's not build for exit. So yeah, there wasn't a plan to step out. It just sort of worked out that way that six years in or whatever the time ended up being it was like, look, I'm not an insurance guy. And I'm not really a proper head of sales. Okay. And I'm running a sales organization that's growing rapidly in a category that I'm learning as we go. Okay. And it's working, right? Like nothing's broken. It's going really well. But I know that my ceiling, there's a ceiling to it's more as a matter of promoting the organization. Yeah, it was like,
0: about you going elsewhere. That's right.
1: If you start yeah. to think about it as an investor, it's like, I'm on the cap table. Like I hope my shares are worth a lot of money someday. Like, you probably want someone else in this seat. Yeah, like, it's going to go faster, right? right? And so found the person I thought could be my replacement. We hired her, and she worked for me for about six months before I went to David. And I'm like, man, I think, you know, we had this kind of mutual conversation. I'm like, I think it's time for her to take over that kind of head of growth role. So gave her my role, and we're like, great. There's so many other opportunities and challenges and problems you can we can throw you out to go solve. I'm like, awesome. So I start to sink my teeth into some of those, and pretty quickly I'm just like, it just feels like where I'm headed is like this sort of like special projects founder who's going to find some problems to solve and add value for sure. Um, but like I feel I, like you're wandering around a yeah, furniture store after that's this, right. after it's like, closed. I know, like, do to, I sit here? Do right, I sit we're there? Where do I go here? Like, I don't <laughs> want to be like looking for ways to add value and feeling like maybe I'm just kind of collecting a paycheck and waiting for an exit like that. It just doesn't really. Meanwhile, you me. had,
0: you had other vision that you had put on the shelf.
1: Yeah. What's right? interesting though, like that wasn't even on my mind at really? the time. It really wasn't. It was more about like, this feeling of like, ah, man, I don't think I'm using my, I know I'm not using my God-given talents to the fullest at this stage in this company, in this role. And so if that's true, like maybe it's time for me to step away from day to day here. And, um, you know, initially David sort of, you know, disagreed, like, ah, I'd love to have you stick around, sure. like, let's, but it was an awesome conversation. And, you know, he was very uh, generous and in, in, you know, giving me time and space to figure out like do I really is it really time to step away and he's like well what would you do and I'm like I don't even know I'd sort of forgot about this long vision I had and he's like well go explore that spend some time on it and if it turns out it's time to go like I'll support you cool no no worries but you know maybe you'll realize in that journey it's not and you know you'll stick around and so it was it was awesome for him to do that but like as soon as I started you know gave myself it's like Allow yourself to dream. Like I let myself dream and I came right back then. I'm like, oh man, I forgot about this thing yeah. on the shelf that like this vision for this someday company I wanted to build. And I'm like, yeah, I have to run after that. It's awesome. it's time.
0: That's great that you had such an open collaboration, both with the team member that you talked mm-hmm. about who went into the band and then with your, you know, co-founders. That's brother. right. And it's really just about communication. And I've I've often been impressed, and part of why I invited you to be on this podcast, because I've often been impressed with the content you put out on social and yeah. And, and being such a loud and clear advocate for healthy, um, collaborative work environments, yes, and, and all of that just comes down to communicating right. honestly and openly, right? right? Yeah. Like if we can just get what's in here yeah. out there, and just be okay with it, even when it's a little difficult, yeah, you can get so much done, yeah. Right? So anyway, yeah, that's good. That's it's
1: really it's like open communication leads to trust, right? True, and trust leads to this ability to have the hard conversation, yeah. And that's, again, it goes sort of back to communication, but man, if I believe that you want the best for me, you can come at me, right? You can challenge my assumptions. You can challenge my actions. Like if I truly believe you have my the company's best intention and mine, you care about me and like where, where I'm going, like it's a lot easier for us to disagree.
0: Yeah. Your best friends are the ones who have told you you're ugly, right? That's right. That's and exactly they, right. <laughs> they did it and you accepted it because you first knew that they cared. Yep. Right. And I think, I think an old employer I used to work for called it carefrontation or whatever. They tried to put a (laughs) a name on it and encourage it. But it's just being a genuine and kind person. And when you are and then you also care about competence and you also care about being great at what you do, that usually comes with some difficult conversations that lead to good things. Yeah. That that plays well in parenting. That plays well in love. and So
1: many other places in life. That's exactly right. And one of the things I realized that sort of breaks my heart is like how rare that is. Mm -hmm. like why is it a competitive advantage that we care about our people like actually care about them as humans like Mm -hmm. that's stupid that that's when you like i was so shocked like early on at differential when you like do stuff that you would think anyone would do in your position like you know a spouse like i remember you know one of our spouses or one of our employees lost a spouse Mm -hmm. in that journey and it was like there was a no questions asked, like take whatever time and space you need. We, you know, paid her full throughout that entire time. Like not even a, never even a yeah. second thought about like, of course you would do that. And I was just shocked by like how many people were rocked by just that. It just seemed like an obvious, like it's just what you should do.
0: Right. Just being humane. Yeah. Treating something exceptionally bad as exceptional. And Yes. and And, just-
1: and that's a, that's an extreme example, but like even a little example of like, you go through an interview process and you know, we have uh, our interview process in any company i build is like always pretty intense. Like you're going to talk to a whole bunch of people because mm-hmm. uh, we just believe culture is so important and like, it's it really is. easy to get it mm-hmm. wrong. So I remember talking, I, this has happened a bunch of times where I, I get on an interview with someone. I'm sort of the last like culture screen, like mm-hmm. you've gotten through the the functional interviews and and I'm sort of that last check of like, do I believe you're going to, and I always talk about like not culture fit, like culture ad. Mm-hmm. Are you going to add mm-hmm. something unique and special to what we're doing here? So I'm sort of doing that and on many occasions I've been like blown away by how complimentary the candidates were about the process because of something like I had to reschedule and you know the person who rescheduled like didn't make a big deal about it at all. It gave me complete grace. I'm like Mm. well of course why wouldn't they? Mm -hmm. Why is that? And like well you'd be shocked. No one like just little things like that where it's just like the doing the the right thing is the weird thing like that's Mm -hmm. a problem.
0: My little brother once gave me an analogy about uh driving and he compared it to pushing grocery carts around in a crowded store. And if we were to drive the same way that we navigated traffic in a grocery store, we'd all drive with a little less heat under our collar, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) We wouldn't be flipping each other off and yelling and cursing under our breath about a turn signal. We would be saying hi and, you know, being friendly with our neighbors and can I reach up to that shelf for you (laughs) or whatever else, right? What if we just did that on the road? And that analogy I think also applies in business. Like my neighbor asked to use my air compressor. Yeah. I'm not going to have contempt for him or, or right. he's not going to be surprised if I say, sure. Yeah. Right. There's, there's no, there's nothing impressive about being neighborly with your neighbors <laughs> right. who interface with you, but somehow right. via email Doesn't or some translate. cold <laughs> system or whatever, we just get more comfortable being rude and standoffish mean, right? and rude. And yeah. And it's what if like, we just don't though? Yeah, if don't we're just nice. <laughs> if we're just nice on purpose. Yeah.
1: Right. I just don't think that should be a competitive advantage. It has been for me and my companies, but it is, and I'm like, that's silly. It shouldn't be.
0: Yeah. I was curious when you were talking about being kind of the final like culture vet. I think that's wise for a senior leader to to be engaged in that way. How did you find over the years building a team and a culture that that aspect of your interviewing uh, or your role in that in the interview changed? As the culture of your team matured and kind of got aligned?
1: I think how I approached doing that definitely evolved and changed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when we sort of landed on this, but I, I started to realize like the way to do it really well is actually just to screen on core values.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: like I, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in like, yes, you should have a mission and every like if people know that, that's amazing. It's mm-hmm. very rare that m- most employees can cite a mission Well, I actually believe having clear core values that everyone can recite is even more important Mm. because you hire, fire, promote, think about your partners. Like if you make decisions based on core values, like that becomes the heartbeat of your culture. Mm -hmm. So I just started to realize like, man, the way you really do that culture screen is I just started to figure out like there's certain questions I'm going to ask that's going to help me unpack whether or not I believe you're aligned with that core value. Mm if you're not it doesn't make you a bad person but you're probably not going to do well that's in right. our in our organization, right? That's right. Like, you might be a, be a better soccer, soccer player fit. than
0: a, than a you know basketball player it exactly. doesn't mean you're a bad athlete. Right. It just means you don't, you're not a fit on this team, right?
1: But I'd rather find that out now, right? Mm-hmm. And so a couple of things with that number one what starts to happen is like if you do a good job with that, you start to talk about it up front and people self-select out. That's right. So you get fewer people who get to that point and that's an issue. Mm-hmm. Like people it becomes a little more transparent. Yeah, and the second is I think you just get really good at figuring out how do I without directly saying, you know, are, do you believe in intelligence as a core value? Like, it's not a great question. Mm-hmm. But I can start to say things like, hey, tell me about the last time you had to learn something new. Like mm-hmm. how did you go about approaching that, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, tell tell me about a time that um you were corrected uh at work and you, mm-hmm. you know, took that advice and changed your mind on it. Like to me that's a sign of intelligence. Like I'm open to feedback right. and being challenged and wrong. It's not you know, you've got the highest SAT scores, it's curiosity, it's openness to being wrong. It's like wanting to continue to engage and learn and figure things out. Like that's sort of what I want to get to. So you I think I always uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I think we get we just got better at like asking questions that would help us unpack. Like, are they? Do we feel like they're aligned with the core values mm-hmm. of this organization?
0: Yeah, and when it's just three, four, five things. Right, right, it should be a short it's list. Short Maybe list. two things, right? Yeah,
1: it's a short list. Yep, no more than five, in my opinion. Like yeah, five's a lot. <laughs>
0: agreed. A small, small amount. It, when it's just a handful of things, it shouldn't be hard to double down, triple down yeah. on digging into those things, validating those things and giving folks an opportunity to self-select. And I really liked your observation there because I've self-selected before out of a culture that was really well-defined Yeah, and it was not me. It's not you. Right? right. Um, and, and, you know, some organizations it's going to be, they were super competitive and we work hard and it's like, okay, so you're working 60 hours a week. You're always going to have the stack rank of everybody, right? You know, maybe you're a salesy organization, you're firing the bottom 10% or whatever you you can read into these different things or whatever. Okay. That's fine. That's not me. (laughs) Right. right. Or, or we're all about, you know, we're all about care and, you know, pay. Well, OK, you, so you guys are running a social working operation or whatever. That's not me. Uh, we're all about innovating. Oh, OK, that makes sense for me. Right. Like there are things that are valuable to everybody, yeah. that are, but they're not going to drive me all day. Right. right. And so, right. I, I, yeah, kudos to you, because that's I feel like a lot of leaders talk about culture in this vague Conceptual sense. So, like, they have great culture, but they don't, they fail to define it. It's hard to pinpoint, right?
1: Like, you have to spend time on it. And this term that uh, I've always used, always, I mean, since differential, I think is when we started talking about, like, I think you have to overinvest in culture. And what's interesting is, like, the way you overinvest in culture changes as the organization changes. Hmm. Like, early on, it might be things like, you know, having everyone talk at a Friday wins, like literally we're going around the table and everyone's gonna share something and it's gonna be tied to a core value as a way to reinforce it and like and to mm-hmm. celebrate your teammates, like and that works amazingly well early on. And like some people might go like, dang, that feels like a lot of time to spend out of your day every week, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Yeah, but it's invaluable. But when you get to 30 people, that doesn't work, <laughs> right? Like it becomes you, you have to figure out like, okay, what's the next level? How are we gonna overinvest at this stage? And there's some stuff you can start to sort of identify and learn on your own. But I think the best way to learn what it looks like to overinvest right now is just to ask your people. Mm -hmm. You have to keep asking that question. And so it's one of the rhythms we had is like we do this coaching, one-on-one coaching monthly with, you know, everyone in the organization should be talking to a coach. And usually it's their leader, but it doesn't have to be. And it's more about sort of you and your career trajectory and like where you're going. But I also see it as like that's your like. Canary in the coal mine opportunity to know if something's awry. Mm. Like, what's? Tell me what's not going well right now. Mm. If you were to start a competitor tomorrow, like, what would you different like? Would there be a different strategy and go to market? Would you have a, how would you change the culture to make mm-hmm. it better? Like, what are we missing here? And mm-hmm. you asked that enough. Initially, you kind of get crickets. People were like, eh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to step on that landmine. Yeah. And I go like, well, what about this thing? I think this is kind of down what we're doing. Like, and they're like, oh, well, yeah, that you, you, we should change it Right. Mm-hmm. So you start like leading with some of that. Like, That's right. You ask that question time and time again, you actually start to listen. I do that right? when
0: I'm interviewing folks. I, I, we talk about strengths, weaknesses, and you ask yep. somebody, Oh, tell me what your weakness is. What are they going to say? Oh, I work too hard. Right, right, Or right. right. some yeah. canned nonsense like passionate. that. That's right. <laughs> but if you say, you know, like I've done sales before and I was always really bad at documenting sales activity. I hate doing administrative right. tasks. Right. I'm never going to build a career out of that. And I'm going to do everything I can to avoid the responsibility for doing a lot of documentation. Note that LinkedIn, I don't, I don't want that job. <laughs> no, that's not me, right? Don't but those but when me. you can do that for yourself in the conversation with somebody and be vulnerable yourself, yes, that's right. then, then they're welcome to.
1: Yep, right? you're exactly right. So that's a,
0: that's a good call.
1: Yeah, so that's it's a, it's a really fun way though to identify, how can we make this place better? And then the key is like, you can't listen to all of it, but if you listen to none of it, people are gonna shut down, they'll stop mm. sharing. And that's on the culture side, that's on, mm. that can be on anything in the organization. And I think a really important thing is like circling back. So <laughs> I don't love taking amazing notes in a meeting like that, but it's really important actually, because mm-hmm. if I can come back to you and say like, Hey, remember that conversation we had? Like I had a chat with our CEO and here's why I don't think it's actually going to work for us. Mm-hmm. Whether or not we do it, you feel heard. You know mm-hmm. that I went and explored. I went to bathroom, for right. you and I, and I, and I'm like, that's a, that's an idea I'm going to explore. Right. And so, of course, if you can start to implement some of those things you're hearing, like that's a really clear indication that folks are being heard, but whether or not you do, if you can circle back on that thing and go like, Hey, I know this was bothering you. We can talk about it some more, but here's sort of what I learned as I leaned in a little bit, like people are like, they're great with that. Like, mm-hmm. okay. Like I will share more ideas with you now that I know you're actually listening. That's
0: right. Something's going to be done with it, right?
1: Yep. Even if it's not exactly what you
0: want to be done with it.
1: yeah I, w- I just want to know it doesn't go into a black box that no one looks at.
0: Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> Um, I could spend another three hours talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> interviewing for culture, yes. interviewing for I mean, I could that's what that's I That's your world. <laughs> it is. I love it. And I've run i s I've run a small consulting shop before too, and we put a lot of time and attention into that. So um but I do want to talk a little bit about your current venture. Yeah. Is it absolutely fine? You, you wanna spend a little time yeah. on that? Let's go. Yeah. So back to question A. Uh, the first <laughs> what one started. Yeah. <laughs> How what did you get there? What are you building?
1: Yeah. So as I started to say and we went down amazing rabbit holes like, that was a good conversation it's this like combination of all the things I've done and have an interest in so there's three primary legs of the stolen fire road okay. The first is small business acquisition mm. so we believe that as AI can so I'm sure you believe like AI is this fundamental like we're gonna see just incredible change in our world because of this technology you know in AI that continues to advance. And it's not gonna overnight change the whole world and whatever, but like, you know, we might look back on this and whatever, fifty years and go, like, sort of akin to the industrial revolution mm. and the dot com era, like this might be that next big, mm. you know, really large fundamental shift. And the place that it seems to me most likely it's going to affect is not the blue-collar world. Mm -hmm. So we're saying, like, let's look at categories like home services, like HVAC, electrical plumbing, like stuff you got to swing a hammer that, like, AI is not going to fix the pipe in the wall anytime soon. Right. But it might actually help me run a better HVAC company. Right. And so I look at that category, and and so our thesis is like, let's look at places where we don't think are going to get disrupted by AI in the next decade, which means they'll probably get more valuable, number one, Mm. highly fragmented, not leveraging technology today, usually run by an amazing technician, but not necessarily a great operator, Mm -hmm. right? So the ability to step in and add like process and systems. And Mm -hmm. honestly, it's sort of like all the, the playbook we've been running in this like high growth venture backed world you can run the same playbook in this category and build an amazing organization. And so we want to build a platform in home services to start, you know, where we're actually buying tech enabling, ad process systems, growth mentality, and start to scale in a category that, you know, we think there's a ton of room to grow in and it's going to get infinitely more valuable. And so... What's your fitting acquisition? What What is it? Like, yeah. what's the target?
0: Yeah. So what's the profile of a great acquisition for I, you? Th-
1: I, think it's, I think it's going to be probably either an HVAC electrical or a plumbing company. Like one okay. of those, one of those or something similar to that.
0: Super pervasive demand, just yep. consistent, predictable, Focus yeah. on a homeowner.
1: Mm-hmm. Like you're a homeowner, I'm a homeowner. You mm-hmm. probably have had the problem of like, it's really hard to find help when right. I have a problem right. and it's really hard to find consistent help. And so like, we believe if we can solve one problem for you really well, and this is just, again, it's back to startup thing I've learned is like, build a scalpel, not a Swiss army knife first, right? Like mm-hmm. let's solve one problem really well. And that problem is like, when you call, you don't answer. Like when I call, you don't answer the phone. Like, great, we're going to get mm-hmm. amazing at customer service. And by the way, we can leverage technology to do a lot of this, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll buy one of these companies, we'll get really focused on the consumer, right? That user experience. Mm-hmm. And if we do that well, in talking to a bunch of owners, like who are doing it well, they'll tell you, like, I get calls about plumbing all the time, even though when I'm, I'm an HVAC company, I'm like, Great, guess what? We're going to add plumbing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like We're going to be that one-stop shop over time to build an amazing customer experience for the homeowner that goes like, I just know I can trust these guys when I call them. They're going to show up on time. They're going to be professional. They're going to follow up. They're going to be transparent in their pricing. Like, So Mm. the bar is relatively low in that category. So that's why we like starting with a a platform company like one of those first. And I think there's also, so the second leg of the stool is kind of zero-to-one venture building. So Ryan and I are serial entrepreneurs. That's like what we do. It's what we've. It's how we led, you know, to astronomer out of differential. It was like we started from zero and we built this company and we spun it out. we have done it multiple times now, like directly and through Ocean. This accelerator I've started. So mm-hmm. like venture building is sort of part of my nature now. And I believe like once we get into this category of home services, we're going to see awesome opportunities to build solutions for our own companies. Mm-hmm. We're going to build those as vertical SaaS companies. Mm-hmm. So we have this really interesting balance of like. Ryan and I love a barbell strategy. At differential, the barbell strategy was build a service company that will be the backstop to all the crazy venture stuff we do. Okay. So we like we returned all the money to our investors from the service company we built, and then Astronomer was this like awesome icing on the cake, like way huge return. But like they had already gotten their money and some return just from that service business. Hmm. So running that same play in Fireo, but the you know the the safe side of the barbell is this like acquisition. Like it doesn't mean there's no risk in it, but. The likelihood of us not being able to buy a cash flowing business and scale it well and return capital was mm-hmm. relatively low compared to, let's do a zero to one venture bet, mm-hmm. right? So that's sort of the safer end of the spectrum. In the middle, we'll do venture building. And then the last leg of the stool was we're going to create an early stage venture fund. So we want to be investors in our own companies we're building in the lab. We also have a partnership with Ocean Accelerator, the program I started a decade ago, we're the, we're the unique capital partner. So mm. for every company that gets accepted into Ocean and we're a part of that, you know, that recruiting and betting and selection process, they get a check from Fire Road um, to kick off the process. So we have exclusive access, like our own kind of deal flow there, our own deal flow in the lab. And then, you know, as, you know, two guys who built some of the most successful companies here in you know startups here in Cincy, like we just get a whole lot of access to entrepreneurs who retail and go like, hey, can I pick your brain on this? And I've said yes to that meeting for all of my career, and I mm-hmm. love doing it. I'm like, it'd be great though if I could also make some money on it. Like, so now we can, you know, be check writers for some of those people we're coming alongside and mentoring. But I love rolling up my sleeves for a company. Like, I want to be the favorite investor that I had, which was mm-hmm. like the first call when shit hit the fans because mm-hmm. they were an operator. That's why you become a great investor. Like,
0: yeah, they would solve the problem with you. Yeah, they're like, they're let not me just tell you, send what we you a did, template. Right? right.
1: Like, we're entering COVID. And we sit down with two of our board members who were operators in 2000 and 2008. And they're like, let me tell you what happened for the companies that, like, I don't know what the answer is, but let's talk about like what worked in that, at that time, Mm. right? Like how, who survived and advanced that and what did they do? Like, let's run that same playbook. Like, there's probably some great takeaways from that that we can apply. And Mm. like, man, I've stepped on an awful lot of landmines now on my journey that I can, I'm not going to tell you how to run your business, but if I can just give you an anecdote, go like, here's the thing I learned. Maybe there's a first principle in there that you might take away and actually, you know, make a good decision on. Mm-hmm. That's how you become a great investor. And like we really want Cincinnati to win. Like we think this is a great town to build startups in. But you need experienced investors. You need people coming alongside them who are going like, man, I'm really going to help you build your business and roll up my sleeves and build with you, not just write a check. And so, Ryan and I are very excited to jump into that as well, alongside Christy Johnson, who's Leading the fund and stepping out of Ocean, so she was leading the accelerator okay. for the last couple of years. She's stepping out of her post there to be our full-time fund manager. So, got this really cool team early on that I know is going to add a ton of value. That's cool. That is a lot of brain
0: power there. Yeah, I like I like your approach to uh, work as an investor. So, I think the attitude I think. Founders sometimes feel like investors are, hey, I'm one of 10 things that could win for you to be successful. That's right. So how much do you really care about me versus the other nine? Right. You're just making your bets and you're going to win no matter what. Yeah. As opposed to like, I'm really partnered and your success matters to me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so not being spread across somebody's risk matrix or whatever, but having a little bit of like sleeves rolled up, vested kind of like. Um, emotional interest, yeah, not just financial interest. That's right, it comes like, back. I really, really care earlier. about you as a person. That's right. It's exactly putting what we your said whole earlier. life and career into this and you being successful, it. coming yeah. away with a win. So,
1: and the other part of that is like, I have to build the kind of relationship with you that lets you believe you can bring the shitstorm to me. Because mm. what ends up happening usually, honestly, is you like, afraid. yeah, I'm like, I can't tell you about this problem I'm dealing with because I gotta, like, I want you to investigate in my next yeah. round and like be nice mm. in our board meeting, I'm like. No, like, I want you to bring it to me because together the likelihood of working through it is significantly better. But that relationship doesn't happen very often. Mm. Like, it's more like, I'm going to put on this great song and dance for you in the board meeting and everything's going to look rosy. It doesn't matter how crazy it is in the background. Like, we're just going to have a nice board meeting and it'll be great. Like, that's not what you want. You want to bring the problems to your board and to your investors that like, who've been there, who've Mm -hmm. seen this before and go like, it's okay, man. Every company, like every baby's ugly. <laughs> that's right. Let's just talk about it and maybe we can make it better.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a great asset. If you do have that kind of trust, what's your biggest challenge right now? So as you think about the next year or so yeah. with fire road and, um, you know, what are you, what are you up against?
1: Yeah. Well, I can tell you the biggest objection when I'm pitching this is like, it sounds like you're doing an awful lot and the answer mm-hmm. is correct. <laughs> yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> and it's kind of what I've done my whole career, right? Like When I was starting differential, I was also starting an accelerator and a nonprofit on the side. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, like, that I'm not saying that, you know, I'm infallible and I won't make mistakes and it'll be easy. I'm just saying, like, it's how I'm wired. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a really driven guy who's, you know, kind of got this high motor and ability to, balance a whole lot of stuff at once. And the only reason I can do that is because I'm really good at building teams. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you do it all? You build great teams, right? Right. You pull in a Christie who's going to run the fund. You build Uh, trust and you move. That's right. And you give them responsibility and opportunity. So I think the biggest challenge for me is right now, it's just getting out of the starting block. Like we are doing a lot, right? So we've got a fund. We've got to raise a venture fund. Mm -hmm. I've never raised a venture. I've raised a whole bunch of capital in my life. But I've never raised a venture fund and I've certainly not done it in this environment, which is kind of a weird place right. to be raising, raising capital, bit. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we got to figure that out. We got to get a venture fund raised, right? We've got to find a great first business to buy. Mm-hmm. Like those are very different problems to solve, but sure. two problems that, you know, I got to immerse myself in at once. And again, you bring great, great people to the board to help you with that. So um, I would say, like, right now it all boils down to capital raising. Mm hmm. So we're raising a little bit of money into the top code just to stand things up. And then I got to get that done as quickly as possible so I can focus on raising this fund and buying our first business. So Mm -hmm. it's just, uh, I think it's trying to prioritize, like, how do I spend my time right Right. now? Do
0: enough of this plate before you can move to that. What's great is
1: like I've got a couple of people who are about to jump, but I can't talk about yet who are going to, you know, it's going to be game changer when they're all in, but they're not all in yet because I got to raise the money first. Mm. So that means it's on me right now. Like I've got to spend a whole lot of plates myself personally to survive and advance long enough to bring in these folks who are gonna, you know, run circles around me, trying to do some of the things I'm doing.
0: You've got a great resume as an investor or as an entrepreneur, rather. I would imagine investors would would look kindly on your effort just because you're you, yeah. right? Um, so who's it is your a ideal huge advantage? <laughs> it does help, right? You've <laughs> yeah. done it before. This it isn't does. your first idea, That's right? right? Um, yeah. Same with Rye, right? Yeah. He's done it before, and That's we had right. the same conversation. So, you know, who's your ideal investor? Who are you looking to? What's your profile of your 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 target audience there?
1: Uh, ideally, it's like the entrepreneur. Like uh, we want more people around us to care about these businesses who've been in that that operator seat before. So, okay. you know, there's definitely going to be some pure financial investors and that's awesome. They unlock a network I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but as many entrepreneurs as we can get around the table to care about the whole thing, the more I can make that call and go like, man, you know this category better than I do. We spent okay. some time here, right? Mm-hmm. So. Ideally, it's that that entrepreneur who's who's made some money and and you know they want to be in the investor seat now, but they love spending time with other entrepreneurs still.
0: Yeah, they've got some brain power, some mentoring, and some care. That's right to invest along with those dollars, just like you building yep, the exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. All right, cool. We'll definitely amplify that message a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <I> get, awesome. <laughs> what What are your? I guess I guess I'll kind of wrap it up with this question. If you if you don't you don't mind us drawing to, but one last thing I want to, uh, ask before we, before we draw to a close is as you're kind of faced with that challenge, raising capital and time to bring these critical folks in who are kind of half committed and uh, almost committed. Yep. What's your plan to kind of like to overcome that challenge? Yeah. How how do you see yourself around that corner?
1: Grit. Like it's the same thing. I look for an entrepreneur is like, I know there's a job to be done. And a lot of this stuff, in fundraising and like, it's not fun work. It's follow-up. Yeah,
0: it's just doing the dirty it's work. It's
1: doing the dirty work. Like right? okay. you got to roll up your sleeves. You got to be willing to do it. And mm. you know, for me, like. Doing know, a thousand podcasts, doing a thousand. Exactly. Speakers. I got to get out That's there. Right. I, like, honestly, I got to say yes. Like <laughs> yeah. right now I say yes to everything. So like, you know, about, I don't know. I I'm, have
0: another event to invite you to. <laughs>
1: Good. I'm <there>. I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. I actually, I, I RSVP. I put it on my calendar. I'm coming. <laughs> okay, cool. Cause it's a new network. It's more That's people right. to meet. I'm going to, absolutely. Right. I'm going to say yes to that. But I realized, like, I don't know, probably a month ago or so, I'm like, I've been pretty consistent with my workout routine, fortunately, because it, like, Mm -hmm. keeps me balanced and somewhat in shape. But I realized, like, I've actually gained, like, I'm as heavy as I've ever been. I'm not a very big guy, but, like, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, man, I must be really doing good at the gym. And I, like, realized, oh, no. You're doing like a breakfast, a lunch, and a happy hour. That's all the networking. Four days a week, right? Like, oh shoot, it's not muscle. (laughs) So so high calorie activity is what it is. Great, I'm going to start ordering just coffee. Yeah, (laughs) right there you go. But like, I gotta say, I gotta just keep black coffees and light beers, right? (laughs) That's exactly right. So the the how do I overcome it? It's like just the same way I've overcome everything, which is like you just got to put your nose down and work hard and keep going and like and my greatest asset is my network i've got to take advantage of that right now like there are people who you know that's why i try and do pr and podcasts it's like every time you get a story or a thing like you know a dozen people reach out who want to hear a little bit more i'm like awesome great let's yeah. go i yeah. want to tell you i want to like the job of any founder is sales all the time true you're selling investors you're selling your first employees you're selling your first customers like you've just got to be really good at telling a story and so like you have to be excited about the opportunity to do that. And so I just keep mm-hmm. leaning in and I go like, great. I've got another person who wants to talk with me. That's amazing. I'm going to mm-hmm. lean into that.
0: Well, I appreciate you being on the show and we'll be rooting for your
1: success. Thank you. All right, thanks, thanks man, Tim. Me. Yeah.